Letter the Fifth of Life in Mexico. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life in Mexico by Francis Calderon de la Barca. Letter the Fifth. Departure from Veracruz, Sand Hills, Oriental Scene, Manja de Clavo, General Santa Ana. Breakfast, Escort and Diligence, Santa Fe, Puente Nacional, Bridge Sketched by Mrs. Ward, Country in December, Don Miguel, First Impressions, Fruit, Plan del Rio, German Musicians, Sleeping Captain, Approach to Jalapa, Appearance of the City, Cofre de Perote, Flowers, House and Rock, Last View of Jalapa, Change of Scenery, San Miguel de los Soldados, Perote, Striking Scene Before Daybreak, Non-Arrival of Escort, Yankee Coachman, Dispute, Departure, Company of Lancers, Alcalde, Breakfast at La Ventilla, Pulque, Double Escort, Crosses, Brigand Looking Tavern Keeper, Ojo de Agua, Arrival at Puebla, Dress of the Peasants, Christmas Eve, In Nacimiento, Jalapa, 23rd December. Yesterday morning at two o'clock we rose by candlelight with the pleasant prospect of leaving Veracruz and of seeing Santa Ana. Two boxes, called carriages, drawn by mules, were at the door to convey us to Manja de Clavo. Señor V. O., C. N., the commander of the Jason, and I, being encased in them, we set off half asleep. By the faint light we could just distinguish as we passed the gates, and the carriages ploughed their way along, nothing but sand, sand as far as the eye could reach, a few leagues of Arabian desert. At length we began to see symptoms of vegetation, occasional palm-trees and flowers, and by the time we had reached a pretty Indian village, where we stopped to change mules, the light had broken, and we seemed to have been transported, as if by enchantment, from a desert to a garden. It was altogether a picturesque and striking scene, the huts composed of bamboo, and thatched with palm-leaves, the Indian women with their long black hair standing at the doors with their half-naked children, the mules rolling themselves on the ground according to their favorite fashion, snow-white goats browsing amongst the palm-trees, and the air so soft and balmy, the first fresh breath of morning, the dew-drops still glittering on the broad leaves of the banana and palm, and all around so silent, cool, and still. The huts, though poor, were clean, no windows, but a certain subdued light makes its way through the leafy canes. We procured some tumblers of new milk, and having changed mules, pursued our journey, now no longer through hills of sand, but across the country, through a wilderness of trees and flowers, the glowing productions of tierra caliente. We arrived about five at Manja de Clavo, after passing through leagues of natural garden, the property of Santa Ana. The house is pretty, slight-looking, and kept in nice order. 
we were received by an aide-de-camp in uniform and by several officers and conducted to a large cool agreeable apartment with little furniture into which shortly entered the senora de santa anna tall thin and at that early hour of the morning dressed to receive us in clear white muslin with white satin shoes and with very splendid diamond earrings bruges and rings she was very polite and introduced her daughter guadalupe a miniature of her mamma in features and custom in a little while entered general santana himself a gentlemanly good-looking quietly dressed rather melancholy-looking person with one leg apparently somewhat of an invalid and to us the most interesting person in the group he has a sallow complexion fine dark eyes soft and penetrating and an interesting expression of face knowing nothing of his past history one would have said a philosopher living in dignified retirement one who had tried the world and found that all was vanity one who had suffered ingratitude and who if he were ever persuaded to emerge from his retreat would only do so cincinnati style to benefit his country it is strange how frequently this expression of philosophic resignation of placid sadness is to be remarked on the countenances of the deepest most ambitious and most designing men c n gave him a letter from the queen written under the supposition of his being still president with which he seemed much pleased but merely made the innocent observation how very well the queen writes it was only now and then that the expression of his eye was startling especially when he spoke of his leg which is cut off below the knee he speaks of it frequently like sir john ramorny of his bloody hand and when he gives an account of his wound and alludes to the french on that day his countenance assumes that air of bitterness which ramorny's may have exhibited when speaking of harry the smith otherwise he made himself very agreeable spoke a great deal of the united states and of the persons he had known there and in his manners was quiet and gentlemanlike and altogether a more polished hero than i had expected to see to judge from the past he will not long remain in his present state of inaction besides having with him according to zavala a principle of action for ever impelling him forward an attendant breakfast was announced the senora de santa anna led me in c n was placed at the head of the table i on his right santa anna opposite the senora on my right the breakfast was very handsome consisting of innumerable spanish dishes meat and vegetables fish and fowl fruits and sweetmeats all served in white and gold french porcelain with coffee wines etc after breakfast the senora having dispatched an officer for her cigar case which was gold with a diamond latch offered me a cigar which i having declined she lighted her own a little paper cigarito and the gentleman followed her good example we then proceeded to look at the outhouses and offices at the general's favorite war-horse an old white charger probably a sincerer philosopher than his master at several game-cocks kept with especial care cock-fighting being a favorite recreation of santa anna's and at his litera which is handsome and comfortable there are no gardens but as he observed the whole country which for twelve leagues square belongs to him is a garden the appearance of the family says little for the healthiness of the locale and indeed its beauty and fertility will not compensate for its insalubrity 
as we had but a few hours to spare the general ordered round two carriages both very handsome and made in the united states one of which conveyed him and c n the senora and me in the other were the little girl and the officers in which order we proceeded across the country to the high road where the diligence and servants with our guide don miguel s were to overtake us the diligence not having arrived we got down and sat on a stone bench in front of an indian cottage where we talked while the young lady amused herself by eating apples and c n and the general remained moralizing in the carriage shortly after and just as the sun was beginning to give us a specimen of his power our lumbering escort of mexican soldiers galloped up orders having been given by the government that a fresh escort shall be stationed every six leagues and announced the approach of the diligence we were agreeably disappointed by the arrival of a handsome new coach made in the united states drawn by ten good-looking mules and driven by a smart yankee coachman our party consisted of ourselves don miguel the captain of the jason and his first lieutenant who accompany us to mexico the day was delightful and every one apparently in good humour we took leave of general santa anna his lady and daughter also of our hospitable entertainer senor v got into the diligence door shut all right lash up the mules and now for mexico gradually as in dante's comedia after leaving purgatory typified by vera cruz we seemed to draw nearer to paradise the road is difficult as the approach to paradise ought to be and the extraordinary jolts were sufficient to prevent us from being too much enraptured by the scenery which increased in beauty as we advanced at santa fe and sopilote we changed horses and at tolomo one of the sites of the civil war came to the end of santa anna's twelve leagues of property we arrived at puente nacional formerly puente del rey celebrated as the scene of many an engagement during the revolution and by occupying which victoria frequently prevented the passage of the spanish troops and that of the convoys of silver to the port here we stopped a short time to admire the beautiful bridge thrown over the river antigua with its stone arches which brought mrs ward's sketch to my recollection though it is very long since i saw the book we were accompanied by the commander of the fort it is now a peaceful-looking scene we walked to the bridge pulled branches of large white flowers admired the rapid river dashing over the rocks and the fine bold scenery that surrounds it the village is a mere collection of huts with some fine trees it was difficult to believe as we journeyed on that we were now in the midst of december the air was soft and balmy the heat without being oppressive that of a july day in england the road through a succession of woody country trees covered with every variety of blossom and loaded with the most delicious tropical fruits flowers of every colour filling the air with fragrance and the most fantastical profusion of parasitical plants intertwining the branches of the trees and flinging their bright blossoms over every bough palms cocos oranges lemons succeeded one another and at one turn of the road down in a lovely green valley we caught a glimpse of an indian woman with her long hair resting under the shade of a lofty tree beside a running stream an oriental picture had it not been for the dust and the jolting nothing could have been more delightful 
as for don miguel with his head out of the window now desiring the coachman to go more quietly now warning us to prepare for a jolt now pointing out everything worth looking at and making light of difficulties he was the very best conductor of a journey i ever met with his hat of itself was a curiosity to us a white beaver with immense brim lined with thick silver tissue with two large silver rolls and tassels round it one circumstance must be observed by all who travel in mexican territory there is not one human being or passing object to be seen that is not in itself a picture or which would not form a good subject for the pencil the indian women with their plaited hair and little children slung to their backs their large straw hats and petticoats of two colours the long strings of arrieros with their loaded mules and swarthy wild-looking faces the chance horseman who passes with his sarape of many colours his high ornamented saddle mexican hat silver stirrups and leathern boots this is picturesque salvator rosa and hogarth might have travelled more to advantage hand in hand salvator for the sublime and hogarth taking him up where the sublime became the ridiculous at la calera we had a distant view of the sea occasionally we stopped to buy oranges fresh from the trees pineapples and granaditas which are like brobdenagian gooseberries the pulp enclosed in a very thick yellow or green rind and very refreshing it was about seven in the evening when very dusty rather tired but very much enchanted with all we had seen we arrived at plan del rio here the diligence passengers generally stop for the night that is sleep a few hours on a hard bed and rise at midnight to go on to jalapa but to this arrangement i for one made vociferous objections and strongly insisted upon the propriety and feasibility of sleeping at jalapa that night don miguel the most obsequious of dons declared that it should be exactly as the senora ordered accordingly it was agreed that we should wait for the moon and then pursue our journey and meanwhile we walked out a short distance to see the bridge the river and the wood the bridge consists of a single large arch thrown over the river and communicating with a great high road formerly paved but now going to ruin we returned to the inn a long row of small rooms built of brick and prettily situated not far from the water here we had the luxury of water and towels which enabled us to get rid of a certain portion of dust before we went to supper the diligence from jalapa has just deposited at the inn a german with his wife and child he bearing so decidedly the stamp of a german musician that we at once guessed his calling they are from mexico from whence the fine arts seemed to be taking their flight and gave a most woeful account of the road between this and jalapa we had a very tolerable supper soup fish fowls steak and frijoles all well seasoned with garlic and oil the jolting had given me too bad a headache to care for more than coffee we were strongly advised to remain the night there but lazy people know too well what it is to rise in the middle of the night especially when they are much fatigued and when the moon rose we packed ourselves once more into the diligence sufficiently refreshed to encounter new fatigues the moon was very bright and most of the party prepared themselves for sleep with cigars in their mouths not a very easy matter for the roads were infamous a succession of holes and rocks as we were gradually ascending the weather became cooler and from cool began to grow cold forcing us to look out for cloaks and shawls 
we could now discern some change in the vegetation, or rather a mingling of the trees of a colder climate with those of the tropics, especially the Mexican oak, which begins to flourish here. Fortunately, at one part of the road, the moon enabled us to see the captain of the escort lying on the ground fast asleep, his horse standing quietly beside him, he having fallen off while asleep and continued his nap. The soldiers shook him up with some difficulty. At Caral Falso we changed mules, and from the badness of the road continued to go slowly. The cold increased, and at last by the moonlight we had a distinct view of the peak of Orizava, with his white nightcap on, excuse the simile, suggested by extreme sleepiness, the very sight enough to make one shiver. As we approached Jalapa, the scene was picturesque. The escort had put on their sarapes, and with their high helmets and feathers, went galloping along and dashing amongst the trees and shrubs. Orizava and the cofre de perote shone white in the distance, while a delicious smell of flowers, particularly of roses, gave token of the land through which we were passing. It was nearly two in the morning when we reached Jalapa, tired to death and shivering with cold. Greatly we rejoiced as we rattled through its mountainous streets, and still more when we found ourselves in a nice clean inn, with brick floors and decent small beds, and everything prepared for us. The sight of a fire would have been too much luxury, however, they gave us some hot tea, and very shortly after, I at least can answer for myself, that I was in bed and enjoying the most delightful sleep that I have had since I left New York. This morning, the diligence being at our disposal, we did not rise by break of day, but, on the contrary, continued to sleep till eight o'clock. I was waited on by such a nice, civil, clean little old woman that I should like to carry her off with me. Meanwhile, various authorities of the town were stationed at the door to give Cien welcome when he should appear. Our breakfast was delicious. Such fresh eggs and fresh butter and good coffee and well-fried chickens, moreover such good bread and peculiarly excellent water, that we fell very much in love with Jalapa. After breakfast we walked out, accompanied by various gentlemen of the place. The town consists of little more than a few steep streets, very old with some large and excellent houses, the best as usual belonging to English merchants, and many to those of Veracruz, who come to live in or near Jalapa, during the reign of the Vomito. There are some old churches, a very old convent of Franciscan monks, and a well-supplied market-place. Everywhere there are flowers, roses creeping over the old walls, Indian girls making green garlands for the Virgin and saints, flowers in the shops, flowers at the windows, but, above all, everywhere one of the most splendid mountain views in the world. The Cofre de Perote, with its dark pine forests and gigantic chest, a rock of porphyry which takes that form, and the still loftier snow-white peak of Orizava tower above all the others, seeming like the colossal guardians of the land. The intervening mountains, the dark cliffs and fertile plains, the thick woods of lofty trees clothing the hills and the valleys, a glimpse of the distant ocean, the surrounding lanes shaded by fruit-trees, aloes, bananas, chirimoyas, mingled with the green liquid amber, the flowering myrtle, and hundreds of plants and shrubs and flowers of every color and of delicious fragrance, all combined to form one of the most varied and beautiful scenes that the eye can behold. Then Jalapa itself, so old and gray and rose-becovered, with a sound of music issuing from every open door and window, and a soft and agreeable temperature, 
presents, even in a few hours, a series of agreeable impressions, not easily effaced. But we are now returned to our inn, for it is near noon, and the veil of clouds that earlier in the morning enveloped Orizava has passed away, leaving its white summit environed by a flood of light. I shall probably have no opportunity of writing until we reach Puebla. Puebla, 24th. Yesterday morning we took leave of the Jalapenos, and once more found ourselves en route. Such a view of the mountains as we ascended the steep road, and such flowers and blossoming trees on all sides, large scarlet blossoms and hanging purple and white flowers, and trees covered with the fragrant bell-shaped flowers like lilies, which the people here call the floripondio, together with a profusion of double pink roses that made the air fragrant as we passed, and here and there a church, a ruined convent, or a white hacienda. We had the advantage of clear weather, not always to be found at Jalapa, especially when the north wind blowing at Veracruz covers this city and its environs with a dense fog. We stopped at a small village to change horses, for on leaving Jalapa our mules were exchanged for eight strong white horses, and here Don Miguel made us enter a very pretty house, belonging to some female friends of his, one of whom was very handsome, with a tasteful white turban. The curiosity of this place is a rock behind the house, covered with roses, clove carnations, and every variety of bright flower-tree, together with oranges, lemons, limes, and cedrats, all growing out of the rock. The ladies are very civil, though I dare say surprised at our admiration of their December flowers, and gave us orangeade and cake, with large cedrats and oranges from the trees. But above all, the most delicious bouquet of roses and carnations, so that together with the unknown scarlet and purple blossoms which the captain of the escort had gathered for me, the diligence inside looked like an arbor. We continued our journey, the road ascending towards the tableland, and at one striking point of view we got out and looked back upon Jalapa and round upon a panorama of mountains. Gradually the vegetation changed, fine fresh-looking european herbage and trees succeeded the less hardy though more brilliant trees and flowers of the tropics the banana and chirimoya gave place to the strong oak and higher steel these were interspersed with the dark green of the pine at san miguel de los soldados we stopped to take some refreshment the country became gradually more bleak and before arriving at the village of las vigas Nearly all trees had disappeared but the hardy fir which flourishes amongst the rocks. The ground for about two leagues was covered with lava and great masses of black calcined rock, so that we seemed to be passing over the crater of a volcano. This part of the country is deservedly called the Malpais, and the occasional crosses with their faded garlands that gleam in these bleak volcanic regions give token that it may have yet other titles to the name of evil land. The roses and carnations that I had brought from Jalapa were still unwithered, so that in a few hours we had passed through the whole scale of vegetation. The road became steep and dreary, and after passing Cruz Blanca, excepting occasional cornfields and somber pine forests, the scene had no objects of interest sufficient to enable us to keep our eyes open. The sun was set, it grew dusk, and by the time we reached Perote, where we were to pass the night, most of us had fallen into an uncomfortable sleep, 
very cold and quite stupefied and too sleepy to be hungry, in spite of finding a large supper prepared for us. The inn was dirty, very unlike that at Jalapa, the beds miserable, and we were quite ready to get up by the light of an unhappy specimen of tallow, which the landlord brought to our doors at two in the morning. There are some scenes which can never be effaced from our memory, and such a one was that which took place this morning at Perote at two o'clock, the moon and the stars shining bright and cold. Being dressed, I went into the kitchen where Cien, the officers of the Jason, Don Miguel, and the Mexican captain of the last night's escort were assembled by the light of one melancholy sloping candle. Together with a suspicious-looking landlord and a few sleepy Indian women with bare feet, tangled hair, copper faces, and riboses, they made us some chocolate with goat's milk, horrid in general, and rancid in particular. It appeared that all parties were at a standstill, for by some mistake in the orders the new escort had not arrived, and the escort of the preceding night could go no further. Don Miguel, with his swarthy face and great sarape, was stalking about rather out of humour, while the captain was regretting, in very polite tones, with his calm, Arab-looking, impassive face, that his escort could proceed no further. He seemed to think it extremely probable that we should be robbed, believed, indeed, had just heard it asserted, that a party of ladrones were looking out for El Señor Ministro, regretted that he could not assist us, though quite at our service, and recommended us to wait until the next escort should arrive." To this advice our conductor would by no means listen. He was piqued that any detention should occur, and yet aware that it was unsafe to go on. He had promised to convey us safely, and in four days, to Mexico, and it was necessary to keep his word. Some one proposed that two of the men should accompany the diligence upon mules, as probably a couple of these animals might be procured. The captain observed that, though entirely at our disposal, two men could be of no manner of use, as, in case of attack, resistance except with a large escort was worse than useless. Nevertheless, it was remarked by some ingenious person that the robbers seeing two might imagine that there were more behind. In short, there were various opinions. One proposed that they should go on the coach, another that they should go in it. Here I ventured to interpose, begging that they might ride on mules or go outside, but by no means within. As usual, it was as the senora pleased. At length we all collected before the door of the inn, and a queer group we must have made by the light of the moon, and a nice caricature, I thought to myself, our friend Mr. G. would have made of us had he been there. The diligence with eight white horses and a Yankee coachman, originally no doubt called Brown, but now answering to the mellifluous appellation of Bruno, A with her French cap and loaded with sundry mysterious-looking baskets, I with cloak and bonnet, C. N. with Greek cap, cloak, and cigar, the captain of the Jason also with cloak and cigar and very cold, the lieutenant in his navy uniform, taking it coolly, Don Miguel with his great sarape and silver hat, six people belonging to five different countries, the Mexican captain, with his pale, impassive face and moustaches, enveloped in a very handsome sarape, and surrounded by the sleepy escort of the preceding night, dirty-looking soldiers lounging on the ground, wrapped in their blankets, the Indian women and the host of the inn, and a bright moon and starry sky lighting up the whole, the figures in the foreground, and the lofty snow-clad mountains, and the dismal old town of Perote itself, that looked grey and sulky at being disturbed so early, with its old castle of San Carlos and cold, sterile plains. 
Meanwhile, two soldiers with cloaks and arms had climbed up outside of the coach. The captain remarked that they could not sit there. Bruno made some reply, upon which the captain very coolly drew his sword, and was about to put a very decided impediment to our journey by stabbing the coachman, when Don Miguel, his eyes and cigar all shining angrily, rushed in between them. High words ensued between him and the captain, and the extreme coolness and precision with which the latter spoke was very amusing. It was as if he were rehearsing a speech from a play. "'I always speak frankly,' said Don Miguel in an angry tone. "'And I,' said the captain, in a polite measured voice, "'am also accustomed to speak my mind with extreme frankness. "'I regret, however, that I did not at the moment perceive the senora at the door otherwise, etc.' At length the two little men, who with their arms and sarapes looked like bundles of ammunition, and who, half asleep, had been by some zealous person, probably by our friend Bruno, tumbled upon the diligence like packages, were now rolled off it, and finally tumbled upon mules, and we got into the coach. Don Miguel, with his head out of the window, and not very easy in his mind, called up the two bundles and gave them directions as to their line of conduct in a stage whisper, and they trotted off, primed with valour, while we, very cold, and, I answer for myself, rather frightened, proceeded on our way. The earliness of the hour was probably our salvation, as we started two hours before the usual time, and thus gained a march upon the gentlemen of the road. We were not sorry, however, when at our first halting-place, and whilst we were changing horses, we descried a company of lancers at full gallop, with a very good-looking officer at their head, coming along the road, though when first I heard the sound of horses' hoofs clattering along, and by the faint light discerned the horsemen enveloped as they were in a cloud of dust, I felt sure they were a party of robbers. The captain made many apologies for the delay, and proceeded to inform us that the alcaldes of Tepeyagualco, La Ventilla, and of some other villages, whose names I forgot, had for twenty days prepared a breakfast in expectation of his excellency's arrival, whether twenty breakfasts, or the same one cold or rechofe, we may never know. The captain had a very handsome horse, which he caused to caracoler by the side of the diligence, and put at my disposal with a low bow every time I looked at it. He discoursed with Cien of robbers and wars, and of the different sights which these gentry most affected, and told him how his first wife had been shot by following him in some engagement, yet how his second wife invariably followed him also. Arrived at Tepeyagualco, after having passed over a succession of sterile plains covered with scanty pasture, an alcalde advanced to meet the diligence and hospitably made Cien an offer of the before-mentioned twenty days' entertainment, which he, with many thanks, declined. Who ate that breakfast is buried in the past. Whether the alcalde was glad or sorry did not appear. He vanished with a profusion of bows, and was followed by a large good-looking Indian woman, who stood behind him while he made his discourse. Perhaps they ate together the long-prepared feast, which was at least one of the many tributes paid to the arrival of the first messenger of peace from the mother country. At La Ventilla, however, we descended with a good appetite, and found several authorities waiting to give Cien a welcome. Here they gave us delicious chirimoyas, a natural custard, which we liked even upon a first trial, also granaditas, bananas, sapotes, etc. Here also I first tasted pulque, 
and on a first impression it appears to me that as nectar was the drink in olympus we may fairly conjecture that pluto cultivated the magwe in his dominions the taste and smell combined took me so completely by surprise that i am afraid my look of horror must have given mortal offence to the worthy alcalde who considers it the most delicious beverage in the world and in fact it is said that when one gets over the first shock it is very agreeable the difficulty must consist in getting over it. After a tolerable breakfast, hunger making chile and garlic supportable, we continued our route and were informed that the robbers having grown very daring, and the next stage being very dangerous, our escort was to be doubled. Since we left Perote, the country had gradually become more dreary, and we had again got into the Malpais, where nothing is to be seen but a few fir-trees and pines, dark and stunted, black masses of lava, and an occasional white cross, to mark either where a murder had been committed, or where a celebrated robber has been buried. Of each, Don Miguel gave us a succinct account. Some lines of Childe Harold suit this scene as if written for it. And here and there, as up the crags you spring, mark many rude carved crosses near the path, yet deem not these devotions offering, these are memorials frail of murderous wrath, for wheresoe'er the shrieking victim hath poured forth his blood beneath the assassin's knife, some hand erects a cross of mouldering lath, and grove and glen with thousand such are rife throughout this purple land where law secures not life the whole scene was wild and grand yet dreary and monotonous presenting the greatest contrast possible to our first day's journey the only signs of life to be met with were the long strings of arrieros with their droves of mules and an occasional indian hut with a few miserable half-naked women and children at one small, wild-looking inn, where, very cold and miserable, we stopped, some hot wine was brought us, which was very acceptable. The tavern-keeper, for it was no more than a spirit-shop, if not a robber, had all the appearance of one, wild, melancholy, and with a most sinister expression of countenance. Salvatore never drew a more bandit-looking figure, as he stood there with his blanket and slouched hat, and a knife in his belt, tall and thin and muscular, with his sallow visage and his sad, fierce eyes. However, he showed us the marks on his door, where a band of twenty robbers had broken in one night and robbed some travellers who were sleeping there of a large sum of money. C. N. asked him how the robbers treated the women when they fell into their power. La saludan, said he, and sometimes carry them off to the mountains, but rarely, and chiefly when they are afraid of their giving information against them. At Ojo de Agua, where we changed horses, we saw the accommodations which those who travel in private coach or litera must submit to, unless they bring their own beds along with them, and a stock of provisions besides a common room like a barn, where all must herd together, and neither chair nor table nor food to be had. It was a solitary-looking house, standing lonely on the plain, with a few straggling sheep nibbling the brown grass in the vicinity. A fine spring of water, from which it takes its name, and Orizaya, which seems to have travelled forward, and stands in bold outline against the sapphire sky, were all that we saw there worthy notice. We changed horses at Nopaluca, Acajete, and Omosoke, all small villages, with little more than the 
posada, and a few poor houses, and all very dirty. The country, however, improves in cultivation and fertility, though the chief trees are the sombre pines. Still accompanied by our two escorts, which had a very grandiloquent effect, we entered, by four o'clock, Puebla de los Angeles, the second city to Mexico, after Guadalajara, in the Republic, where we found very fine apartments prepared for us in the inn, and where, after a short rest and a fresh toilet, we went out to see what we could of the city before it grew dusk, before it actually became what it now is, Christmas Eve. It certainly does require some time for the eye to become accustomed to the style of building adopted in the Spanish colonies. There is something at first sight exceedingly desolate looking in these great wooden doors, like those of immense barns, the great iron-barred windows, the ill-paved courtyards, even the flat roofs, and then the streets, where, though this is a fete day, we see nothing but groups of peasants or of beggars. The whole gives the idea of a total absence of comfort. Yet the streets of Puebla are clean and regular, the houses large, the cathedral magnificent, and the plaza spacious and handsome. The cathedral was shut, and is not to be opened till midnight mass, which I regret the less, as we must probably return here some day. The dress of the Poblana peasants is pretty, especially on fete days. A white muslin chemise, trimmed with lace around the skirt, neck and sleeves, which are plaited neatly, a petticoat shorter than the chemise, and divided into two colors, the lower part made generally of a scarlet and black stuff, a manufacture of the country, and the upper part of yellow satin with a satin vest of some bright color, and covered with gold or silver, open in front and turned back. This vest may be worn or omitted, as suits the taste of the wearer. It is without sleeves, but has straps, the hair plaited in two behind, and the plates turned up and fastened together by a diamond ring, long earrings and all sorts of chains and medals and tinkling things worn round the neck. A long, broad, collared sash, something like an officer's belt, tied behind after going twice or thrice round the waist, into which is stuck a silver cigar-case. A small colored handkerchief, like a broad ribbon, crossing over the neck, is fastened in front with a brooch, the ends trimmed with silver, and going through the sash. Over all is thrown a riboso, not over the head, but thrown on like a scarf, and they wear silk stockings, or more commonly, no stockings and white satin shoes trimmed with silver. This is on holidays. On common occasions the dress is the same, but the materials are more common. At least the vest with silver is never worn, but the chemise is still trimmed with lace, and the shoes are satin. Christmas Eve in Puebla The room is filled with visitors, who have come to congratulate Cien on his arrival, and a wonderfully handsome room it is, to do it justice, with chairs and sofas of scarlet stuff. But I was anxious to see something. As we are to leave Puebla very early, I am prohibited from going to the midnight mass. I propose a theatre, where there is to be a nacimiento, a representation in figures of various events connected with the birth of Christ, such as the Annunciation, the Holy Family, the arrival of the wise men of the East, etc. But after some deliberation it was agreed that this would not do, so finding that there is nothing to be done and tired of polite conversation, I betake myself to bed. Christmas Day. It is now about three o'clock, but I was awakened an hour ago by the sounds of the hymns which ushered in Christmas morning, and looking from the window, saw, 
by the faint light, bands of girls dressed in white, singing in chorus through the streets. We have just taken chocolate, and amidst a profusion of bows and civilities from the landlord, are preparing to set off for Mexico. End of Letter the Fifth